Hey everyone, welcome to episode 87 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Raffle, with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? And joining us as well today is Lotus Box team captain and Lotus Boxer and SCG Cincinnati top 8 member, Zan Sayed. Hey Zan. What's up? How's it going? It's going pretty well. Congrats on the top eight. Thank you. So today's going to be kind of a loosey-goosey kind of episode. I think we're mostly going to be talking about SCG Cincinnati. We all played different formats. We all had different levels of results with our (laughs) respective teams. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, we're pretty much just going to chat about that, chat a little bit about the Mythic Invitational and the best of one uh, slash duo standard format. Just just kind of chill and, and and have a chat. Before we get too into it, want to thank our patrons. Really appreciate you guys supporting us. It is super helpful. Uh, new patrons are Mark and Dirk. Thank you so much for signing up. I have sent out the most recent batch of tokens. They should have gotten to pretty much everybody by now. So if you have not received a token and you're a patron, make sure to send me a message and I will get those out to you as quickly as I can. Yeah. So SCG Cincinnati, SCG Cincinnati. It was last weekend. It was last weekend. It was, it was a lot of fun. Very fun. Yeah. I didn't do so hot. My team kind of got a lot of stuff go wrong very quickly <laughs> and all at the same time. But yeah. that's yeah. all right. We still had a really good time. Cincinnati is a cool city. You teamed with Lee McLeod and Michael Braverman. Yep. Yep. It's the squad. It is the squad. Yeah. Uh, we specifically went to Cincinnati, even though none of us were really planning on it, but we wanted to run back the team and there was a team tournament, so we did it. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Um, For sure. Hopefully we, we, you know, last time we went and we missed day two by one match point. <laughs> uh, Brutal. This time we missed it by a lot more than that, but ultimately the same results, just a lot less work and heartbreak going into it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> But Zan, you had a significantly different experience this weekend. How was how was your SCG Cincinnati? My SCG Cincinnati was a roller coaster, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I got two draws. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, and they were on me. So yeah. So you you were teaming with Austin Collins and Brad Carpenter, right? Yep. Nice. They were absolutely fantastic and uh, I can confirm Austin Collins is broken. Yeah. Austin, I, we've we've known that for a minute now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you guys had, your team was you on War Prison and Modern. Yep. Austin on Blue Red Delver in Legacy. And then Green White Tokens was Brad Carpenter. Cool. And, and how did you guys end up teaming together? So I actually thought that Bob Huang was locked in with us. And, you and who else? And Austin. Okay. And basically uh, last minute... I messaged Bob, I'm like, are you ready to team? And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> so then I was like, in a panic mode, I was like, Austin, we don't have a third. Don't worry, we'll find somebody. Yeah. Um, so we started talking to a whole bunch of people, and Brad uh, reached out to me, and he was like, we've never teamed together, but I think we would be a dope team. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Brad's totally. solid pickup, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I was really, really impressed with uh, both their plays, um, I, we really didn't talk the entire tournament in terms of play. Mm-hmm. Um, they did their own thing, I did my own thing, and um, we drew a little, and we <laughs> and we won a little, and yeah. <laughs> and we made it. So I was pretty happy. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk about those draws a little bit? Not like the specific games as much as just like generally playing were 
which is a go-long game, or a go-long deck. You're, you know, you're just kind of prone to um, running into some time constraints. Uh, and then also, you know, just in general, team tournaments tend to amplify that time pressure because people are talking to each other, taking longer on decisions. 100%. Um, sitting in the middle seat as the modern player kind of felt bad because you were just like, uh, even if I were to look over for a second, I'd feel like I've lost that precious time that I needed not not mm-hmm. to put myself in a bad position. But as the tournament went on, after when I got my second draw, well, I got my first draw in the last round of day one. So it was nine rounds in, which felt understandable. Then got the first round of day two. And I just, I actually sat down with Collins and Kazu. And yeah. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what am I doing? Right. And um, Yeah, Kazu and I kind of hammered in that you needed to make sure that, you know, people were playing faster, pretty proactively. Oh, yeah. So basically, I went to my next round of opponent. I was like, okay, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. <laughs> and then I started finishing my matches before my teammates. And then the rest is history. Because you were focusing attention on that the time element. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, I realized that my deck is just broken and that I don't have to pay attention to the details of like trying to trying to get my opponent to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. It just was about finishing the matches now. And um yeah, basically when I made top 8, the biggest relief was I don't have to worry about time anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dylan and I, when we were talking about it, we, you know, we we heard that you made top eight. We were very excited. And, and we kind of looked at each other at the same time. And we were like, Dan doesn't need to worry about time anymore. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's fun. That's, but, <laughs> you can focus all of your attention on making the right play. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's good. And if Dan gets to do that, it's, it's over. <laughs> yeah. 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 So... I mean, I actually wanted to talk about just going to time and stuff in general a little bit, because I actually had a draw this weekend. I played in the Classic, Mm -hmm. um, and our deal was, because we had, you know, we had an eight-hour drive home, and I wanted to at least sign up for the Classic, because having one point would lock me for qualified for the Envy, because I just haven't, I realized that I haven't gone to a single individual Open (laughs) this season. (laughs) I just haven't gotten to go to many tournaments, so I've, like, picked up points where I've been able to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so signing up for the Classic, even if I, you know, didn't win a match, would at least get me the point that I needed to lock being qualified for the Invitational, so that was pretty high priority for me. Yeah. Uh, But we didn't really want to stick around all day because, you know, Mike and I both had work in the morning yeah, and that sort of thing. So I figured I would play in the Classic, and if by the time we were ready to go, I was undefeated, I would stick around and catch a ride with somebody who was headed in the same direction. Mm-hmm. If I had a loss, I would just drop. I played my first round, and I was playing a Jeskai Niv-Mizzet deck, which... Um, you know, chose for multiple reasons, got a little bit validated because, as you guys informed me, because <laughs> I didn't check this, yeah. it did a very similar Jeskai Niv-Mizzet deck, uh, made the top eight in Grand Prix Kyoto this weekend, so a little bit of validation for my deck choice yeah, there. absolutely. Even though it didn't work out as well as I'd hoped mm-hmm. on the weekend. Yeah. Um, but my first match in the Classic was against Esper Control, which I'm pretty heavily advantaged in because I have four Niv-Mizzet's yeah. main deck. And four treasure map. And four treasure maps. And treasure map is just huge. Against a deck that is duressing you and thought erasuring you, if you have a treasure map on the board, it's really hard to fall behind on cards and, and yeah. card selection. Yeah. So 
that matchup is one that I'm pretty comfortable with, have played quite a bit of, and feel like I'm, you know, reasonably well advantaged in. But our first game went very long, and I ended up, my Niv-Mizzets were sort of all hanging out towards the bottom of my deck, and even though I got through most of my deck, did not quite uh, pull off winning game one. Um, and our games two and three stretched out a little bit, as control mirrors do. Mm-hmm. And I think we were both playing pretty quickly. I was very conscious of time after game one because I knew I was going to have to win two more. So I was taking my turns about as quickly as I could. Mm-hmm. Did you have any... I, I know that there's three Legion Warbuffs in the sideboard of this deck and even some Rekindling Phoenix. Did you have any of those like creature plans I, post-board? I brought in... So I have Rekindling Phoenixes in my board. Okay. Um, I brought them in for game three because I was on the draw but wanted to figure out a way to just like put my opponent into a weird spot make them trade off resources and and shrink down the game a little bit if i possibly could yeah yeah it's also okay because it's a hedge against eldest reborn so right um yeah i like uh i like treasure map a lot right now i mean more not being able to hit it with mortify is just (laughs) ridiculous yeah if you play it on turn two and they don't have a one drop in play you feel like you cannot lose the game yeah it it's it's been extremely good for me maybe we should be putting it in 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 esper decks as well i i think it would be fine in esper decks i mean the the key is to have a turn where like you can do a big thing and then you pass and if they do something you still have mana up yeah and since esper's win conditions are so terrible like you don't really have the opportunity (laughs) yeah 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 for sure um so it you know the huge advantage that you get of just that like giant mana bump right in the middle of the game it doesn't pay off quite as well in esper colors for sure um but ultimately unfortunately we ended up drawing that match on turn five of turns i had a niv mizzet in play um i had killed all of my opponent's permanents they were down to like one or two cards in hand and my opponent was on three and i just wasn't able you know i chained all the spells that i had together in my hand i just didn't have enough mana to burn my opponent out with all my spells on turn five of turns and uh my opponent chose not to concede to me which is totally my opponent's prerogative But so I scoop. I ended up scooping to my opponent because I wasn't going to finish the tournament out after starting with a draw, and I didn't want to like give up somebody else's equity in the tournament for no reason. Yeah. But I will say that if I were in my opponent's spot there, staring down a Niv Mizzet at three life with very few resources, um, and my opponent with a full grip of cards, um, I would have made the decision to scoop there. Yeah. And um, I just think it's like higher. Like, it, it kind of maintains the integrity of the tournament a little more, the the player. And it's different if one player was really slowing down the match, using up a disproportionate amount of the clock, then it's not great to reward them for that sort of behavior by giving them the win when they're ahead at the end of the game because they used up more of the clock and used it to make better decisions or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we were both playing at a reasonable pace. Um, I think we were both playing very quickly for about 25 minutes of the match. Yeah. Um, and so I think think in that sort of situation i would scoop most of the time um and that i mean that's why i scooped because i i think giving one of the players a win is a much higher equity over both players starting with a draw so um just a thought but obviously always completely up to a player whether or not they want to to scoop the match i definitely agree there but as of late i've had i I actually had a really interesting scenario with jim davis actually Mm -hmm. not this tournament but the last tournament which was philly Mm -hmm. and jim and i had this 
So basically, uh, we ended up in this scenario where he was going to win the next turn. He had Olamog. Mm-hmm. And I had played the game in a way that I decided not to play around Nature's Claim. But if I had the time, I think I would have. But basically what happened was at that was like one of the toughest decisions because I truly, before that decision, I truly believed that I was like, I would concede if I'm just dead on board next mm-hmm. turn. But I was totally aware because it was the first round of day two mm-hmm. that that one draw equals one point in the SCG race. And I'm uh, and at that point, I was like, I'm desperate for every point. Mm-hmm. If this draw didn't mean a, ex- a whole point, I yeah. think I would concede. Yeah, and, right. and I apologized to Jim. I was like, look, I, I need this point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like for most people, a lot of times when they're doing this draw, it does it doesn't have that bearing over it. And I yeah. think that much more people need to consider when they really should concede and when they when they shouldn't. Yeah, I actually the team event conceded in oh, turn five, um, <laughs> uh, and because my I was playing so I played Legacy this weekend and I was playing Teamer Rug Delver and I was playing against Loam. And I was at one, and they had a Punishing Fire and a Grove, and it was turn five. And I was trying to, you know, I was, I was mostly just kind of treading water throughout the last couple of turns. I was pretty, the game was pretty much over. I was pretty because dead. your opponent had a Punishing Fire <laughs> because, and well, a Grove. Because of, my opponent had a Punishing Fire and a Grove and the Knight of the Reliquary that was yeah. eating me alive in all sorts of angles and stuff. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I talked to my teammates. I was like... Um, it's likely that if our opponents win next round, they're going to make top eight of the tournament and a draw locks us both out of the top eight contention. So I, I want to concede here and they said it was up to me. So I, I scooped. Um, and and it ultimately is that like overall equity calculation. Yeah. So, you know, my spot was round one of the tournament where a draw is worth just the least amount that a draw is ever worth. Yeah. Um, It's virtually identical to a loss at that point. Yeah. Especially in a classic where, you know, yeah, it might as well just be a loss for both players in terms of like the record moving forward. And, you know, in, I think it is important to kind of like consider that stuff where, you know, like what is, what is this draw worth for both players? Is it, is it closer to a loss for both players, or it could even be closer to a win for mm-hmm. both players, you know? Yeah. And, you know, for for your scenario, I think it was pretty clear that somebody should concede because it both it's like a loss for both players at, like, round one of a classic. Yeah. Um, but in our scenario, it was, like, the difference between each of our teams getting a little more cash by potentially top 16-ing or something mm-hmm. versus, you know, one of us making top eight. Yeah. And I thought that that was just, you know, overall better Yep. for, for everybody involved, so... Alright, I gotta talk about this one other scenario. Yeah. It was uh with my good friend Julian. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> this was so this was your draw in the team event in the last round of day one? Yep. Uh so this one was a really tough one because we played game one. I felt like my pace was really uh, I, I felt like I was pacing the game really well. But one thing I was making sure to do was remind Julian to keep playing faster. Mm-hmm. And he kind of failed to do that um, just because, you know, it's the last round of the day. We we're both tired and J- Julian likes to talk sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so he was talking a lot and I tried to push him to do that. But the interesting scenario happened. He won game one. We went to game two and I, the interesting scenario came up was I had him locked out, but he had surgical my swords and I had two Tezzerets in my deck and he had three Thought Scours left in his deck. Mm-hmm. 
and we had 15 minutes left on the clock and I explained to him, look, I have you locked up. Yeah. He's like, well, what I can do is I can thought scour you and potentially hit those deserts. And I, and I looked at my teammates. I'm like, yeah, he's right. But what are the odds? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we continued to play on for another eight minutes out of the 15. But the weird thing was he thought scoured me and he hit one Tezzeret. Mm-hmm. Then I played a chalice for one. And we continued playing. <laughs> so, did you? You didn't have an academy runes out, did you? I did not. Okay. Yeah, uh, academy runes would have been would have been the the full hard the full hard lock. lock. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have it. But um, so we we co- we continued playing for another three minutes after that, and then we went into game three, and I was just like, "We're yeah. gonna draw." Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna draw. So it, yeah. so I mean, it needs to be a thing that you're thinking about in very specific ways, like before even you get to the last couple of minutes of the match, you know, the whole 50 minutes of the match contributed to going to time. Yeah. And so if you can end a game earlier or, you know, one of the things as well is like performing the, the end of match negotiations in advance and being like, you know, we're not going to draw, right? Whoever you're shuffling up for game three, and you say, "Look, whoever's ahead at the end of this game, I'm like, if if you are ahead, I will scoop." If yeah, um, and and so then there's not the like weird feelings at but, the very end. But in the thing was that in game three, going into that game three gave me a weird feeling. It mm-hmm. made me feel bad because it was in my opponent's best interest to stall that game because mm-hmm. he's going to win. He's more likely to win the game quicker than I. Right. So it felt just right bad if you all only over. have. Eight minutes, then that's harder for the prison deck to pull off the win than for any other deck. Exactly, and I and I was just like, I don't get to play my my true game, because right. uh, there was a scenario in game three where he went. I played uh, Doctor Foundry, mm-hmm. and Julian goes. He he has counter spells in hand, so he's like um, about to put out. Um, he's about to spell piercer. His his teammate goes, no, use this one. And immediately I knew that the other one, Julian was like, no, I can't use this one. I was like, oh, yeah, ceremonious rejection. Mm-hmm. So I could play this longer game plan to beat that ceremonious rejection. Instead, I had to play into the ceremonious rejection because we were so low on time. Mm-hmm. And I I just felt like we had lost all integrity because we weren't able to play yeah. that, th- that third game. And now, I mean, so say we're in a spot where you know, like a draw is actually good for Julian's team. I think it is completely legitimate for him to, and and this doesn't involve slow play or slowing down your pace of play or anything, but it's legitimate for him to take the second game and make that last as long as he can by actually taking game actions in order to give his team the highest value going forward. Feels pretty bad when you're doing that to a friend, though. Yeah, no, for sure. I thought, I never... When when I made the case in game two, I honestly did not think that there was an art that that there would be an argument made to mm-hmm. continue playing it. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes people surprise you, <laughs> and we ended up in the scenario we did. But I mean, I just in game three though he did cast a shatter storm, mm-hmm. and he had the game locked up, and I chose to take the draw because I felt like I was put in an unfair position. So. It, Lately, I've been readjusting my stance on draws, mm-hmm. um, and it's been uh, it's been tough. Uh, I felt like I've never been challenged on my stance on something in Magic so directly, mm-hmm. because I, then the next day I got another draw, and I, <laughs> and I had my and my opponent 
was 100% locked up. It got to the point where I was like, I'm going to Jester's cap the rest of the thought scours from his step. Mm-hmm. So he had literally so had no, no literal no outs. Yeah, there was zero outs. I had pithy needle on Chandra, three um, jars, and two bridges. There was no outs. Yeah, no. yeah, and I mean that that can be just one of the. You know, you make deck choices for a giant list of reasons, and one of the negative, one of the strikes in the negative columns for prison style decks is sometimes time can be a concern. No, definitely. Um, this deck, if you're playing it like newly, play it in a, in an individual tournament. Don't pl- decide to play it in a team tournament for sure. Mm-hmm. Then when, when once you feel like you have all the reps and you can move through it like Susurus does, mm-hmm. um, then I think you're, uh, then you should move on to a team tournament. But definitely, this deck is very difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Lee has played it in both of the team tournaments that that we that I've played with him. Right. But Lee is flawless. Lee, <laughs> he plays that deck so quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all credit goes to Lee. I would not have been on this deck if it wasn't for Lee. Yeah. For sure. And and you were specifically playing that blue black version with Tezzeret's and Unmoored Egos in the sideboard. Yeah. And uh, yep. Lee. I think we can pretty safely call that the the Lee McLeod version at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Lee put Dom on it, so yeah. yeah. And Dom just won won a classic with it. Won a classic. Yep. He's uh yeah. Lee is spectacular with these with these decks, and I think I've locked myself. If ever if Lee comes up to me, and he's like, I have this artifact deck. I'll be like, Yeah, I'm locked. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I hope he doesn't abuse that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I had this artifact deck. You'll never believe what it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We actually got a draw. I believe our first match of the open. Um, we played against uh, Abe and Ethan and Kellen. Oh, you you guys were their draw. Yeah, we were their draw. <laughs> you know, we played them in the first round of top eight. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I was wondering who their draw. Was. It was us. It was so we played against them round one. We drew. And then our courses diverged right. about as completely yeah. as two two teams' courses can <laughs> diverge. Yeah. Um, Kellen smashed me in the standard match. Um, Lee smashed. Yeah, Abe. Lee smashed Abe. Um, Kellen, super pleasant opponent. Yeah. Uh, like, like really, really cool guy. Uh, I missed a Niv-Mizzet trigger against him that probably still would have beaten me, but yeah. it was... It, it was the the second Niv-Mizzet trigger, the damage trigger. Yeah. Uh, I missed one damage off of it that could have made a difference, and that felt really bad and very embarrassing. You know, completely annihilated me game one. If I had won game two, then I'd be on the draw again in a very, like, maybe, like, 45%-ish matchup. Uh, he was on mono-white or white-blue. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So that was a rough start for my open. Uh, and then... Mike Braverman in our legacy p- seat played against Ethan Gajewski, and they were playing the Taxes Mirror. There were a lot of those mirrors in the tournament, and a yeah. lot of them going to time. We actually drew. They hadn't finished, or they they just barely finished game two uh, of their match <laughs> as on like turn four or five of turns. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. that's that's how the D and T mirror goes. Yeah, in they legacy. are very grindy for sure. I agree, I agree. But I do have to say that Kellen is not a bad person to lose lose to because I will say that he is, in my mind, the most underrated Platinum Pro. Literally. Like, he's just... He's incredible. Um, I think he X won the Swiss. 
of oh I did with, not know yeah. uh, with Mono White. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> don't quote me on that, yeah. but I this I, I feel like I heard that somewhere. But I mean, they were pretty confident playing against uh, when we played against them. But yeah, luck, yeah. Luckily, my teammates were pretty broken, so we <laughs> we, we sweeped them. Yeah, yeah. Two o two o two o. Nice. Um, he did mention that he listens to this podcast. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, that was really <laughs> nice to, to hear. And I didn't I don't really didn't really know how to express like. It's particularly nice to hear it from, you know, somebody <laughs> right. who I know is quite good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, like, that was cool. So hopefully that expresses it if he manages to listen to this episode. <laughs> nice, nice. But yeah, so after that, my tournament kind of, we just had some bad things happen in a bunch of different matches and didn't qu- couldn't quite put it together. Um, but I guess we should talk about deck choices a little bit. Um, Collins, you were on Teamer. Yeah, so I, this weekend I played with... Um, Will Pulliam and Robert Stanley. Yeah, Robert yeah. Stanley actually, we should hear like how a... your tournament went. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, yeah, it's my turn. Yeah. I'm, gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna talk a little bit. Uh, yeah, so uh, Robert Stanley was somebody who uh, was uh, heavily talked up from my friend Will Pulliam, mm-hmm. but I hadn't met him really before this weekend. Uh, all I had heard was that he was a standard master, so I was excited to see you know what he had. And yeah, I mean they were both great teammates. Stanley played uh, just pretty much stock soul tie mm-hmm. um, in the standard seat. Uh, Will played Amulet. He's been That's playing a lot of Amulet lately. Could have um, probably guessed that. Yeah, and I played Rug Delver. Rug, for me, I think was a really good choice for this weekend. It just it kind of generally fits my play style. I like being pretty proactive and using all my resources proactively. Mm-hmm. And Rug really uh, rewards that. You know, I'm playing Stifles, so you know, yeah. <laughs> you're really out to get your opponent there. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> it's really just like the misiest deck. <laughs> like, am I gonna get you with this stifle wasteland hand? I yeah, mean, you yeah. might just not get to play magic. And stifles, I will say, were great all weekend. Okay. Nobody respected it um, <laughs> because Rug Delver is a deck in Legacy that just hasn't seen a lot of play recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and stifles a card that kind of, as a result, hasn't seen a lot of play recently. So it's not really on everybody's mind when you. Like, you know, play Fetchland and pass the turn. Especially if your Fetchland is Wooded Foothills. <laughs> wooded Foothills was phenomenal for me. Would, turn one, Wooded Foothills go, and they would, like, jam spells or whatever, and I would daze them or cycle them. <laughs> it was great. I loved it. So anyways, I was def- definitely able to get a lot of people. A lot of a lot of people on the play would go Fetchland pass, and I would just go Fetchland pass, and then they would, like, untap and draw, and then crack it, and get them. And sometimes that was just the game. Yeah, I mean, one mana Stone Rain is... No, it's good. It's pretty good. It's pretty strong. The other reason why the deck was really good for me was uh, the Delver Mirrors. Everybody is on blue-red Delver, and they only... Their removal spells are all bolts. Uh, Bolts, chain lightnings, forked bolts, and all this stuff. And I just had Tarmogoyfs and Hooting Mandrels in my deck. And those cards were very, very good in the Delver Mirrors. In Um, a... In a Gurmag Angler world, Hooting Mandrills is very bad. True, but... But in a Delver of Secrets world... Specifically in a true name nemesis mm-hmm. world, that's where Hooting Mandrills really shines. Yeah. Because it has Trample. Trample's they block it with good. a true name and you still get in for three. So you are you can always race. Yeah. Definitely worse against Gurmag Angler. I definitely got trounced by a couple of Gurmag Anglers. <laughs> Not gonna lie. It did come up where I slammed my Hooting Mandrills and they played a Gurmag and that was, that was bad for me. <laughs> You know, but I liked it as a metagame call, and it continued to be phenomenal against True Name Nemesis, um, just, like, forcing them to have to, you know, like, because if you're on the, you know, if you're the player with the first flipped Delver, mm-hmm. and you're ahead on life totals, and you have a Gurmag against their True Name, they're not stable, and that gives you a lot of equity. Mm. So, I like If you have a, a 
the hooting mandrels against their a hooting mandrels against their yeah. um their true name because yeah. you can you, you just, just attack keep into two it. and three every turn yeah. right yeah yeah where a gourmet angler would just get blocked right oh. yeah. yeah that's pretty cool and I I think you know your your call it looks like it made a lot of sense this weekend I believe. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be one of the reasons that we saw so many Death and Taxes decks in the higher tables. Yes. Like, Jitae and Sword of Fire and Ice are, like, very good against Del- Blue-Red Delver decks. Yeah, yeah. Death and Axis, I think, was a phenomenal choice for this weekend. It was able to beat up on uh, a lot of the Delver decks, and I think it's just, like, just has it's generally very, very strong and also rewards the players who have the most experience with it. Mm-hmm. I think moving forward, though, just kind of, like, in a vacuum... I will say that I do think that straight blue-red Delver is probably the better Delver deck, mm-hmm. just because of basic lands. Basic lands are broken. They're <laughs> so good in Legacy. Yeah. And ha- having access to that and not really having to worry about the rest of your mana base is very, very strong. So I think that generally in a vacuum, you should lean towards blue-red Delver if you're looking to play a Delver deck in Legacy right mm-hmm. now. But because it was a team event and team events are more easily metagamed, yeah. I was you know, I was pretty happy with the choice. Yeah, more so. people on the conservative deck, more people on the deck that won the tournament a week ago. Yeah. That yep. sort of thing. Yeah, and so my team we ended up in twenty third. We made day two, but day two didn't go so great for us. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of at the bottom of the standings there. But I was still pretty happy with our, our performance. I think it was a good weekend for us. Cool. And deck choices seemed. I mean, you're like you know. We talked about yours. Yeah, I as... I was really happy with mine. I think that Saltai was definitely a good choice for Stanley. He's mm-hmm. definitely a mid range player. Okay. And I'm pretty pro playing what suits your play style in general right now. Yeah. And you know, Amulet's definitely the deck that Will has the most practice with. Mm-hmm. But I will say that Will played phenomenally all weekend. But there were some matches where he just didn't draw Titan. And jeez, yeah, yeah. deck has a lot of titans in it. It does, but it, I think it also has a pretty high variance level to it that mm-hmm. might be a little understated. We keep on seeing like super consistent results from uh, players like Daryl Ayers and Edgar Magalhaes, and I mean the, the, they're clearly phenomenal amulet players, and they get re- really rewarded. But you know, just kind of sitting next to Will all weekend, you know, seeing him make like super awesome plays, playing really tight, and then still. Sometimes, flooding out sometimes dying, just dying. Flooding out and dying a yeah. significant amount of the time kind of highlighted the inconsistency of the deck to me. So, And that's what I found. I, I think it's it's certainly favored against Arclight Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know, it just has a, a faster clock and has weapons that it can use to deal with what you're doing. But I don't have a losing record against it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've felt in spots like, well, if they have it here, I'm dead. Yeah. And they just don't enough of the time right. that your consistency takes over and gets those percentage points yeah. to make it a relatively even matchup. Yeah. E- even though, like, if both decks are doing what they're doing, then certainly the Amulet deck's plan beats the Phoenix deck's plan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's definitely part of the format right now is um, the, consist- the high consistency of the Phoenix deck's like matching up against the higher variance, higher power level right. decks. Right, for sure. And it's, it, we, we play a game of equity, you know, so you can kind of <laughs> pick which one you want. Of yeah, choose where those. you're spending your points. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So, yeah, you know, definitely that. And, and I do agree, um, based on my, I mean, based on looking at results as well, but also based on my gameplay and, and testing and stuff, I just have not been very impressed with Sultai overall lately. Mm-hmm. I think it's, in a weirdly rough spot 
I don't know, against the the ways people are building their decks right now. I, I mean, I guess it's probably just the a combination of Esper players knowing how to play against it and Wilderness Reclamation being pretty popular that really yeah. hurts the yeah. deck. The, our tournament started off kind of funny because uh, Stanley made the finals of the last Classic that mm-hmm. he had played in before this tournament uh, with Sultai. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of joking that his record that tournament was uh, X and Reclamation. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he lost to Reclamation in the first round of that tournament and the last round of that tournament, which was the finals. <laughs> and our his first two opponents were both on Reclamation in our in the team tournament. Oof. But he beat them both. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so we Redemption. were like, whoa, okay. I guess we're... Now we're we're reclamation and X against the, against the format right now, so we've kind of made a flop. But but yeah, that matchup is clearly not great for the um, the soul type perspective. So yeah. one thing I did want to talk about is I think that modern and standard are in very similar spots. Mm-hmm. And something that I talked to Brad about right before this tournament is that basically after when Austin won won the tournament, not this past weekend, the weekend before with Phoenix. They were both like, you have to play Phoenix. Don't don't play anything but Phoenix. And mm-hmm. I was like, look, Austin has set, set it up perfectly for me. <laughs> I get to play a deck that by accident beats the best deck. With that being said, I feel like Modern and Standard are in a spot where you want to be playing polar decks. Where you happen to like be good against these decks and not good against these decks. Mm-hmm. And just pick right for pick the right one for the weekend. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why when I talked to Brad, who had the most reps with green-blue um, reclamation, I was like, don't play that deck. Play green-white tokens. It has strong polar matchups against red, the the white, uh, the Azorius uh, aggro, and against Sultai. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to do wonderful with it. The only matchup you have to figure out is the team of reclamation matchup, which is going to be popular, but that deck has such a huge fail rate. And there was uh, Collins and I had played that deck with and uh, played against that deck like four times in a row with blue white aggro. And I told Collins, I've never lost that deck. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is like we have this formula. We as long as we do what we can to present that clock, mm-hmm. they just end up losing to their fail rate. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. I think I think multiple times I heard that. Like testing for the last pro tour, I think uh, PV sat down with with Siggy and they played like twenty matches or twenty games, twenty post board games of 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 Azorius Agro versus Reclamation, and I think that the Reclamation deck won zero of those games. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was talking to my friend, our friend Alan. I was talking to him and his team, and they were like, "Yeah, we tested this, played like five or six games." I was like, "How many games?" Did the white weenie deck win? Like, five or six games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you just get to the point where you, uh, you know, you, you just try to present lethal every turn and make them have the fog every turn. Mm-hmm. And if you can get to that point in the game, they're just not going to be able to deliver a high, very high percentage of the time. And yeah. the team reversion doesn't even have fogs. They have, like, uh, fire cannonade. Which is awful. I, it's just... <laughs> this is my most hated card in the standard. It never does the thing that you're putting it in your sideboard to do. It's only good against green-white. I agree. It's, it's quite good against green-white. And it wasn't even that great against green-white. <laughs> yeah. Every time I looked over at Brad, I was like, weren't you supposed to lose that? He's like, nah. <laughs> I, mean, I think he lost to Ross, but that's about it. That's uh, yeah. He crushed it every other time. I mean, I do think that, depending on where in the wheel you think... Where in the like meta game wheel you think standard is this weekend? Like, 
Simic Nexus or so, something, one of the Reclamation decks is a deck that has those polarized matchups. Like, you, you're crushing the mid-range decks, you're quite good against control, but then the aggro decks can really, like, put you in a hole. So my, my thought process right now is I was... I believe that there was a wheel in standard for a while, but now I'm starting to see that Esper, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Esper was a deck that Edgar played this weekend, and he went like 12-0 with it, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. But if you take 10 players that are uh, close to Edgar's level, 9 of the 10 players didn't do well with Esper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about these tem- team of reclamation decks, mm-hmm. that like their inconsistencies are failing the majority of the good players that are playing it. And I'd rather just be focusing on, like, mono blue or uh, green-white tokens or blue-white aggro. Those decks do the same thing way more consistently. <laughs> and when green-white tokens, sometimes sometimes they have a draw like blue-white aggro. What are you going to do? You're just going to fold over and mm-hmm. lose. Yeah, yeah, like the history of Benelia veterinary deloxidon draws that just like put you in a big hole really fast exactly yeah and sapling migration is sapling migration into venerated deloxidon is a very consistent thing to look for yeah 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 makes sense to me that's I, I think similar philosophy has led me to like really try to work on this just guy niv mizza deck um it does have pretty polarized matchups some of these if if your opponent plays a one drop on turn one and then like an adanto vanguard on turn two then you start feeling, you really start feeling the hurt, and you're like, I gotta flip this treasure map and get a Niv Mizzet and play like as fast as possible. Yeah, um, which you can do. Like sometimes you win those games, but you're not favored for sure. Yeah, but you have incredibly positive matchups against the control decks, and you have a plan against the the reclamation decks where a lot of the mid range and control decks don't really. Um, if you can just fight over a reclamation and then get a Niv Mizzet into play with some mana untapped on one of their turns like if they're if they're a nexus deck they'll cast so many spells that eventually you just have so many cards that you get to like cast two more negates and that's usually enough and against the reclamation against like the team reclamation decks it's much more complicated but you end up trading off a bunch of resources and then you're both niv mizzet decks but if you don't have a treasure map they're going to beat you if you do have a treasure map then you have a lot more options no, definitely. I think Niv-Mizzet is one of the few cards that would want w- that allow me to consider playing um, some of these control shells because it's the closest thing that we have to like an absolute kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I truly believe that Teferi is no longer in that. Oh yeah, yeah. realm. Uh, Teferi is only in this deck because it's a decent card. Mm-hmm. Like it's just because the card is four out of five stars or whatever in the yeah, format. Exactly. Not because it's like particularly insane and like it's not a Teferi deck. Yeah, Niv Mizzet feels very Splinter Twinish um, to me. It I, feels it feels like the deck plays out like a combo deck a majority of the time. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. the combo deck is the combo is flip treasure map into resolve Niv Mizzet with um, a couple of mana up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Game over. Yeah. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> the the head explodes a lot right after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I went. I, I'm I'm still, you know, I haven't gotten to play as much arena. I'm trying to. I'm gonna try to like hit mythic and top 1000 this weekend if I can. Last night I had like two hours. I had just hit platinum, yeah. and I got to diamond in like two and a half hours, and I had one loss on the night or something like that. Yeah. Um, I do think that probably most of the strongest players are up at mythic now so i'm not playing against them but i played against a bunch of different decks and 
played against a bunch of gruel decks, which should be bad because a lot of their guys have four toughness and they have burn spells and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they were just mid rangey enough that like Niv Mizzet just is a cheat code a lot of the time. So. Oh yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, so I I think like green white is a very good and powerful choice. Uh, I I know people were like kind of in shock that it was doing so well given the wilderness reclamation decks that were running around but no definitely uh i was it was a deck that i played pretty heavily for the myth trying to grind for the mythic invitational Mm -hmm. because in our group of people that were that was playing uh that was playing it were uh were evan whitehouse and zach keeney Mm -hmm. and um zach keeney ended up making the what do you call it mythic invitational which he's going to be playing at this weekend yeah with that green white deck, yeah, finished second. Zach's so. been all about that deck for the like, you know, quite a while. All of recent memory and standard, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and he even helped Ethan Gaeski get back onto the pro tour with that deck. Ethan actually beat me in the RPTQ online RPTQ with that deck, mm. and I was playing blue white aggro, which I thought was a really well positioned deck. But again, he ran into a really like one of his polar matchup, like really strong, consistent matchups is all these mono white decks mm-hmm. so that i think that green white is a very very powerful choice if it continues to stay under the radar because the mirror match is abysmal <laughs> uh, but <laughs> just, i do just not fun to play exactly just... i do want to say that in modern and standard yeah we want decks that have polar matchups in legacy it's the exact opposite you want to be playing decks that reward you for your play um how well you play because even if you have a bad matchup, would you say that Death and Taxes is, is a good matchup, is a bad matchup for Blue Red Delver? Mm-hmm. But Austin, uh, I think, played it six times this weekend and beat it five out of the six times. Which, and one of them being Steve Rubin, which was pretty fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's Blue Red Delver was absolutely phenomenal, especially to watch it in the hands of someone who is, I mean, undeniably going to be a a a legend yeah i mean that's pretty set in stone at yeah. this point i think he's top aided the last three opens that he's played in yep just and he was and, and the last three invitationals he's played in no big deal. oh yeah i forgot about that stat <laughs> jesus I have, I have never met a kid who i've never met someone who was disappointed in the top four finish yeah i he was just like Zan, I really wanted well, it. Was a, it's a big letdown after last weekend. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, I wanted this trophy so bad. And I was just like, I, I, I felt disappointed. I was like, bro, I wish I could have helped you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this top eight was stacked, though. Yeah. This was a great top eight. And I, I don't want to, like, leave anybody's names out. But yeah, you like there were just some busted teams in this top eight. Yeah, I mean just to, just to make it into this into the top eight, our winning was against the Tenjum team, which is which is a team that's already won an open before, and they were probably one of the top three favorites to win this tournament. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I gotta mention the Dilks Ayers, Magal Hayes team. They've top eighted the last five team tournaments they've played in they never lose they just don't lose (laughs) it's wild yeah (laughs) they're great Uh, i mean we we get to we hang out with them quite often and they're always a delight to hang out with Mm -hmm. and they're just great magic minds for sure yeah yeah and then of course the ross miriam tan and grace jim davis team just also never loses never lose yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean i think this is a thing that is very underutilized is that finding your group of your 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 team and just sticking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that 
Lotus Box hasn't really pursued is having a team that consistently just keeps doing it. We all we are always about being open to trying different teams, but I think that the the future really rewards you for finding a group of um, group of people that um, want to work as hard as you do and continuously get you there. Yeah, for sure. And you got to settle in. You got to find the right three people that like fit together like puzzle pieces and exactly. and like can consistently like schedules line up and that sort of thing. It's a very complicated <laughs> no, for process sure. not, to yeah. make work out. I'm not saying it's easy by any means, but um, yeah. I mean, it can definitely be rewarding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to talk about best of one and like maybe oh, yeah. the upcoming Mythic Invitational a little bit? So I'm completely unfamiliar. <laughs> I, I've played about two games of best of one standard and then I just sort of like brushed my hands off and was like, this is not for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, best of one really, it really encompasses the extremes in standard. Uh, the extremes being like, you have Monored and you have Esper. <laughs> and everything in between is kind of just medium. Um, <laughs> and that's, and that's because if, let's say you're playing Sultai, you have cast downs in your deck or land or elves. Those cards get absolutely destroyed by one camp or the other. Mm-hmm. And and so you have to build your decks uh, a lot differently. I will say that my favorite deck was probably the Esper deck with um, Dovin's Acuity. Because Dovin's Acuity was this engine that allowed you to punish all these mono-red players. And it did it in a fashion that was unlike any control deck I've ever seen. Like, they play Experimental Frenzy, you play Dovin Security every turn. And basically, <laughs> the red deck will try to burn you, but they'll run out of cards because your Dovin Security is just a better engine. You opt and pick up a Dovin Security, draw another card, and gain a life. And then eventually, life. you have two Dovin Securities and you like revitalize and pick up two Dovin Securities. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It never ends. That's five lives. That's a threat to us. amount of life. Amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, so would you say that, like talking about the pillars of best of one standard, would you say that Monored and Esper are kind of like the top, the top dogs? There? Yeah, they're the top dogs. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but everybody knows about them. Yeah. And at, in this Mythic Invitational, you can expect people to be trying to level each other. Yeah, absolutely. So they're going to be a uh, some some mid range decks that you may not have thought. Uh, we're going to prevail and one of them being like green red green red is a deck that can can um, really uh, put a beating on mono red as well as uh, the esper deck because of cards like rekindling phoenix yeah. so you're going to see these really like decks that are tuned to beat both of them and it would be like a really unusual mid-range deck so when you see those decks you might see pros think think ahead and be like, okay, people are going to be playing these mid-range decks because they beat these. So now how do you beat those mid-range decks? So Mono Blue might be on top again. So it's like this whole game where um, you have these two extremes that are beat by certain types of mid-range decks. Maybe some green-black shells, maybe some green-red shells, maybe maybe some green-white shells. Uh, but those decks end up losing to Mono Blue. So... I think people are going to be leveling each other. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really... This tournament, if you prepared or played any best of one at all, you're going to see 
some incredible things. And best of one is here to stay, uh, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, you know, these these mulligan rules and these things, they're adjusting to a faster paced game. And yeah. best of one is not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like we're trying to push... What's the word I'm looking for? Consumerism? Uh, or just like, you know... Just the ability to... Watchability. Yeah. And I think the best of one can definitely do that if it just like kind of makes the games a little more fast-paced, uh, less things to keep track of. Because I think we, as Magic players who've played for a long time, we love sideboarding. Sideboarding is such a intricate, important, uh, strategic element of mm-hmm. Magic. But from a spectator's perspective the uh, the things that you see in terms of what happens with the sideboarding is pretty much zero. When you're like yeah. spectating a match and you you go from game one to game two, you you know nothing about what the player the decisions that the players have made um, and all of that stuff. Yeah, those decisions are always really fascinating, and I I think that we should definitely do more to. Uh, like, I always loved in Pro Tour Top 8s when they just, like, pulled the players aside and said, how do you plan on sideboarding? I think that those are, like, probably the most informative little segments that you can watch on the Pro Tour because you get to understand that element that you just, like, don't get to see normally when you're spectating. If, we, if we're moving away from that in, you know, we are losing equity in terms of, like, strategic elements of magic, but I think that we will gain equity in terms of now the spectators get to kind of have a better holistic picture of what's happening in the games. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I do wish, I do feel like it, for me, as a spectator, it's a yeah. missed opportunity because if we watched these players playing Arena, we can actually see them sideboarding yeah. in a very clear way that you never get with Paper Magic. That's true. That's so true. That, that's one thing that I would like to see, hopefully get to see in future tournaments of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember watching the mocks and being able to see the yeah. player sideboard was huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we never cool. get that at like Grand Prix. So you just, you're completely in the dark about what they've done with sideboarding. Yeah. I mean, that's until, a... until they draw a card and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they brought that in. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. That's actually something that we're going to start seeing change that we're going to be seeing a lot more of the, the sideboarding because of Cardboard Live, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cardboard Live is going to make a huge impact on spectating. For yeah. Sure. For those of you guys that don't know what Cardboard Live is, I mean, they're they're creating apps that allow us to see the the missing elements, you know. And one yeah. of those missing elements, Twitch are... UI plugins to give additional information. Exactly, yeah. and sideboarding is one of the biggest things. But with that being said, we're gonna in this period, we're gonna see a lot more Magic players, uh, more Magic players coming into coming into play Magic. And basically, what's gonna end up happening is the element of sideboarding is going to become a a really unique skill because mm-hmm. a lot of players are not going to be used to it or mm-hmm. understand the rules of it. So I look forward to dominating New York. <laughs> <laughs> nice. it, it does. That is one of my favorite feelings in the world where like you lose a game one and then you just, your sideboard <laughs> plan is just so much better than your opponents. Yeah. And then yeah, you yeah. just destroy them in game two right. and three. And it's just like, all right, like, mm-hmm. You got the one, but... Well, that's that's sealed 101 right there. Is right. You, yeah. If you sideboard better than your opponent in sealed, you're going to have a much, much better win rate. Just make um, your deck the right size. Really <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to be losing that going forward. I think that we're just going to have, a, you know, bifurcation of magic a little bit. And I don't know how much of the Mythic Invitational I'm really going to be watching... I, I can't not watch it, but 
the format is not one that like I am going to or maybe I play it eventually. I don't have any particular plans to play it and especially not duo standard that's not really something that has any bearing on my wizarding life yeah but i mean certainly going to watch some of it and it is really cool there so they are using cardboard live for the mythic invitational for yeah. to present like player profiles and that sort of thing yep. um so that's that's really cool and i think that this is a really big deal this weekend is going to be huge for pulling in a new magic audience so. yeah no definitely and uh, i'm gonna I'm actually headed over to PAX tomorrow. I think that being present for the first, uh, one of the first of many uh, tournaments where Magic meets esports and they're starting to become one is going to be huge. Yeah, I mean we're we're seeing stuff. We're seeing Twitch sponsored tournaments and and you know streamer events with big. You know there was like a a ten thousand dollar charity showdown with Gabby and um, was it. Uh, I don't remember who the other person was. <sighs> but it, it, it was, uh, you know, some plat pro yeah. um, who streams. I, for some reason, my mind is blanking. But, like, like that sort of stuff never existed before. Yeah. And it existing now, it was, it was on the front page of Twitch. Like, yeah. that's really important and really good. And it's because of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, HP, like, when they were running the ads for the Mythic Invitational, it, they said, powered by... HP Omen, and that's when... Like, that's a big deal sponsor. It's huge. Yeah. Magic's moving up in the world. Yeah. I'm excited. It's good. It's yeah. just good. Yeah. It's huge. Very and it's gonna it's, it's going to take us, you know, our, our sideboarding old school players, I know. Uh, kicking and screaming along with it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> such dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. By the way, I did play against an Electro Balance deck in this tournament. <laughs> Will got destroyed by Electro Balance, and he, yeah. he made fun of me for <laughs> sabotaging our tournament because... Wait, hold because... on. We have, to, we have to actually talk okay, about yeah, this. Okay, yeah, we should talk about this. Um, so we don't really have a Patreon question of the week, but we do have a little bit of story time. Yeah, this is going to be a shout-out to one of our listeners, and I'm, I'm sad that I don't remember his name, but... So during the team tournament, we our team played against a, a modern player playing uh, the Electro Balance... <laughs> uh, list electro dominance uh, restore balance restore balance uh-huh. he mentioned that he got the list idea from me talking about it on the podcast um, I'm so... sure that there was some work done to refine it oh no absolutely <laughs> and and you know I, he, he showed me his deck after the after the match and everything And but uh, <laughs> Will Will kept on making fun of me for sabotaging our tournament because uh, <laughs> the, the matchup between Amulet and uh, Balance is a very very skewed because they have yeah. not only do they have uh, Armageddon but they also have Blood Moon in their deck oh god and, uh, so both of those just line up really really well against Will so Will's like Balance I'm not going to let you talk about Balance balance in the tournament but right before i'm gonna play on your team as amulet uh but that was fun but it was it was awesome to see somebody have, doing really well with the uh the electro dominance build it's a deck that i want to continue tuning i think that all of the builds right now are still pretty rough and uh it has the potential to be very very strong if, if people put in hours into tuning it well so that listener should get back in touch with us. I'd like to see what that list was and yeah, and use that definitely. As, that 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 sounds great. Yeah, we played them on day two, so it might be posted. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that is one of the problems with the deck is that it in and of itself doesn't have a plan for troublesome artifacts, and you have to include specific cards for that. So yeah, so fifteenth place restore balance, Brandon. Um, <laughs> 
let's call him Brandon C. <laughs> it's a, Brandon C. Shout out to Brandon C. Uh, yeah, and so this this definitely a couple of steps uh, beyond. Has several planeswalkers, which is something that you know we've been thinking about. Um, don't know what the best one is. Here we've got one Chandra, one Jason, one Karn. Planeswalkers notably res- yeah. survive Restore Balance. He was talking to me about it, and I think that we both kind of came to the conclusion that Chandra's just kind of clearly the best Planeswalker here. It looked right? amazing. Um, it looked amazing. Yeah, Chandra's great. And it's so funny to say that next to Jace the Mind Sculptor. It's <laughs> like, which which four-mana Planeswalker do we want? Oh, it's pretty certainly Chandra. <laughs> Chandra's incredible. It. You know what? I Chandra is the better planeswalker in the sideboard of Phoenix as well. Yeah. I I tried Chase. I liked Chandra better. Yeah. Um, yeah. especially in a format with uh prison as a thing. Mm-hmm. Chandra just like gets there faster and ends the game and like is giving you resources and damage at the same time. Yeah. Whereas Jace, like, you really need to be drawing to something. And Jace doesn't actually get you to your Shatterstorm very much faster than Chandra does. I think the primary difference is that Jace is best kind of once you've already won the game. Mm-hmm. You slam your Jace after you've cleared the board and your opponent is kind of low on resources. And then that's where Jace wins yeah. and it dominates and it's over if they brainstorm twice. Mm-hmm. Right. But Chandra's, like, good in games that are still, like, happening, right? Mm -hmm. You can use it as a removal spell. You can use it to add mana. You can use it to get card advantage. You know, being able to do all of those things with your Planeswalker just makes it a better Planeswalker, you know, while stuff is still going on. Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, if your opponent just, like, has a board state or whatever, and you play a Jace, often Jace is just forming a Brainstorm. Yeah. And that's not great. It's not not so good. Yeah, I think Chandra definitely gets a lot of equity in that category. No, definitely, and it kills a uh, thing in the ice, which is much better than bouncing it. Yeah. Huge, absolutely. Jace lately has felt like it's obligated to plus the moment it hits the battlefield. There's so many yeah. bolts right. floating around, and that's a bummer. <laughs> it, it is because <laughs> the difference between Jace zeroing and Jace plusing is <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Jace plusing, like for example, in the Phoenix matchup. Mm-hmm. Plusing your Phoenix opponent does very little. Right. Their card selection is so good that, you know, it's not like they're playing Jund and they're at the mercy of their top decks or whatever. They're they're yeah. gonna be able to cast their slide of hand or their opt or whatever and <laughs> yeah. or or just a thought scour to get rid of the card that you <laughs> topped for them or something. Right. I will say I did like the fact that he trimmed on Electrodominance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was something that we had talked about and he did that. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Still no substitute for Greater Gargadon. Like, that's really the thing that that need that this deck needs is for a printing a card to get printed that can be your Greater Gargadon's five and six or something like that because not finding it is very stressful. But yeah, so really cool to see somebody doing well. Yeah, it was awesome, and uh, and I do yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited to see if this deck manages to make an impact in modern like six to eight months from now. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like the timeline that it's on. It's it feels like a deck that has the potential to become a tier one modern deck, but it's going to take a lot of time and iterations before it can get there. If you're ever in a spot where the modern wheel has shifted and put big mana decks at the forefront... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a deck you want to be playing against Amulet and Tron and Valakut. Right. Yeah. Yep. Basically the only Jeskai deck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, uh, step one, ban Faithless Living. <laughs> <laughs> right. This deck's got one Faithless Living in it. Yeah. I know, but that's like uh, saying that yes. Sneak and Show is a Gitaxian probe deck. Um, I walked over when 
you guys were playing in the Swiss on day two, and I saw Austin playing against Sneak and Show. And I don't know if you saw this moment, but he had wastelanded his opponent's Ancient Tomb. Okay. And he had... It was like turn three-ish, so he had quite a bit of power in play. I flipped Delver, a, pyroman- uh, a young Pyromancer, some tokens. Um, and so he had his opponent on like a two-turn clock. Um, his opponent had a Tomb, played a Lotus Petal, cast Show and Tell... Austin dazed it, bringing his Valk back to his hand. So he had four cards left in his hand. Or so he had three cards left in his hand. Untapped, brainstormed, and passed without playing a land. So you know that he traded in that Valk for something better. Yeah. Yeah, don't you know that daze is actually just free cryptic command? (laughs) (laughs) It's just free cryptic command. It's just counterspell draw a card. card. (laughs) And so that allowed Austin's hand, once he passed the turn... With, I think, lethal on the board yeah. to be force of will, force of will, force of will, force of will. <laughs> yeah. Again, sneak and show. Wow. Yeah, I was, I was, I feel like we were together watching over the shoulder of Austin. And, uh, and we just kind of, we saw him brainstorm and he hit like two force wills and his hand was already force force. Yeah. Um, Which is like, force force is a great hand. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Show. And then, but then just being able to like put the land on top of his library and pass the turn with, just literal four force of wills in your hand. <laughs> well, yeah, you and I kind of like stepped back a little bit and looked at each other and chuckled. <laughs> I think you, I think your words were that was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, when you're sneaking show and your Delver opponent bounces a land to their hand with days and then doesn't play it on their next turn, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. One thing I I will say is whenever I looked over at Austin's board and he had a Delver, it always flipped. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, dude, nice!" <laughs> I was like, "I want to play Delver like that." <laughs> well, that's—I mean, we all know that that's the the test to see who's the better Delver player in the mirrors is who can just flip their Delvers. Yeah, it was just like automatic. <laughs> yeah, I bet he didn't even have to look. He just be like, Psh. "Yeah." When you each play a Delver on turn one, and theirs flips and yours doesn't, it's a bad feeling. It just feels like the end of the world, almost. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I played against Tannen in the tournament, and uh, that scenario happened. He went turn one Delver, I went turn one Delver, his flipped. Mine didn't. Ugh. Mine didn't again. But it's okay, because the two cards that I saw on top of my library were both Tarmogoyf, ah. and his deck couldn't really beat that card, so yeah. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. Yeah, Tarmogoyf, definitely a breaker in that matchup. Yes, Quite it good. was very good for me. Yeah. Well, we still got a little bit of time. Uh, anybody have anything in particular... Any stories from this weekend or anything we want to talk about before we sign off? Any any things we've been thinking about lately, magic theory-wise or format-related things or anything like that? I'm gonna probably going to play War, Demir War for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Until I've been watching Xan up late at night, and every time I look at his deck list, it's like four cards different <laughs> that he's been tinkering with it. And that's, you know, that's a good exercise for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, somebody asked Lee if you were playing exactly his list this weekend. He was like, no, Zan's playing some weird cards now. <laughs> yeah. Search um, for his cont, uh, you know. Uh, let me talk about <laughs> I love me some search for his Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I... That card always flipped. Yeah. Well. <laughs> if you, and if it didn't flip, that means I played it on turn two, which means you're getting selection in a deck that hardly gets any. doesn't have any yeah i when i played the deck a little bit i wanted to put like serum visions or something in there just because i really missed having that 
card selection. No, definitely. So you had some pretty interesting matches. This is one thing that I did want to talk about before we go, mm-hmm. um, especially like in the top eight. Um, and one thing that we've definitely seen developing is these the the deck originally started coming to prominence because it just smashes Phoenix. But mm-hmm. Phoenix really has some plans against you now. Yeah. Okay, so played against Phoenix nine times. Oh no, my no, God. no, ten times in the last two tournaments. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So still a lot. Five times per tournament is that's a lot. Significant for yeah. modern. Yeah, that's um, a third of your Swiss rounds. Yeah, which was incredible. I uh, really enjoyed that matchup, um, but it wasn't until the top four of this last tournament where I got my first loss, my first genuine loss against mm-hmm. it. Uh, credit to. Ingram, he came up with the, a different sideboard plan than everybody else was doing, and I felt like that caught me off guard, which was leaving in bolts and uh, shaving on thing in the ices. I'm not positive as that's what he did, but when I I did see bolts and he had, mm-hmm. and I knew that he was, I knew his exact uh, seventy five because we shared list, we we were supposed to share lists. And um, Dylan was playing something similar, so when I looked at his list, he kept in a plan that I wasn't ready for. But I will say that the that the card that looked most spectacular this weekend was um, Pyromancer's Ascension. Yeah. Um, that's probably going to be the mirror breaker, and it's probably going to be make my life much more difficult. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the the ability for that deck to both play a very proactive, aggressive beatdown plan with the thing in the ices and the phoenixes, and also be able to transition into this like combo storm deck mm-hmm. seems really, really strong. I definitely have consistently seen turns where the Phoenix player, you know, activates their ascension and just goes off. Like cast multiple metamorphoses, churns through their deck, and just like does everything. And that like having access to that angle is kind of like a different angle than what they're used to playing and seems to be a very, very strong one. So Yeah, and it's specifically good because we're seeing it in matchups where it's well positioned. So the mirror and against prison specifically are the places where you really want to draw a Pyromancer Ascension. Mm-hmm. I, I I do like that that Pete was keeping in bolts. So the thing about Pyromancer is Ascension in in the mirror it doesn't really matter what cards you have in your deck. If you get an active ascension going, like you're going to kill them somehow. Yep. Um, against prison, though, you're drawing to something. You have to have a plan of what... If you're going to draw your deck, you have to have a plan of what you're going to draw to. Yep. Shatterstorm's a really good part of that plan, but it can get unmoored egoed or whatever. Yep. Um, so I think like having the bolts, too, to just be like, you know, if I did a little bit of damage to you early damage. in the game, Three I can bolts. just... 18 you or whatever yeah i think that that is really smart and yeah like boarding out thing in the ice is kind of sacrilege but this is definitely the matchup where it just yeah. is a it's yeah, a big it, tarmogoyf and tarmogoyf isn't that good in this kind of matchup yeah. it's definitely unintuitive so props to pete for thinking outside the box catching me off guard this probably makes me want to play more engineered explosives so it's not that i'm cold to it right um but it makes you respond to it right which it's just important. like more angles. And the more angles you can throw it, uh, were the better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So my response to Shatterstorm was Jester's Cap. Mm-hmm. And now they're adding more Pyromancer Ascension, and my response should be more engineered explosives. Sure. Um, so it's like this cat and mouse game. We'll mm-hmm. see who wins. Most likely the deck that's supposed to get banned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Both decks have broken cards. You've got Mox Opals. No, I, I like this cat and mouse game because it allows me to... Ha- like, this deck 
really preys upon knowing what I want to play against. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that when they ban it, then my deck might... Well, basically, the format is going to go into this place where, what do we play? What do we play? What do we play? And that's not what you want to... You yeah. don't want to be playing Prison when everybody's asking that question. Right. Like, you, you need a defined metagame. Yeah, yeah. I, might, I might play Boggles for a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Zan, please. <laughs> I, I truly don't know what's going to be good if they ban Faithless Suiting right off the bat. Wait, did yeah. you pick this deck up right after losing in an IQ with boggles to, to this Lee. deck uh to Lee. um uh kind of uh not really i feel like you were on something else in between those i can't remember what, what exactly was it? i think i was on i think i was just on phoenix oh yeah yeah i think uh basically i was at a point where i was like i either have to play phoenix or i have to beat a deck that's by accident beats it like mm-hmm. or like just beats the crap out of it so we went to philly and i was like okay i'm playing phoenix and I was like, Collins, you have my copy? And Collins was like, I left <laughs> yeah. it at home. Yeah, this was, like, the, this was the dagger story. <laughs> and I was just like, I guess I'm playing uh, where I have not been thinking about it all day because that's definitely a deck you want to be just constantly thinking about. Mm-hmm. And then when I played the tournament, I was like, it feels very natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can definitely be the one to blame for uh, Zan so, being on his worst streak. Or credit. Or credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I, I played some more. I played a, a, a couple of leagues with it. And playing against Phoenix usually feels pretty good. You kind of understand what they can do to you. <laughs> During day two of the Open, I sat down and played some post-board games against Will. So he's playing Amulet. Those games are such, like, they're extremely difficult. There is so much going on in that post-board matchup that I don't know that I could bring myself to play this deck in a tournament. Just on the off chance I play against Amulet or a, another suitably complicated deck with and, and and the key is that amulet is able to present different threats along different axes that you need to respond to in very specific different ways and that's how you get prison is you you attack from different angles no 100 percent. but i mean you do your research mm-hmm. and the most important part is after every match you like try to take down some notes on like what you did in order to put yourself in a good position in that right. match of like knowing your pithing needle targets. And that's the thing I like about this deck is that after every tournament, I feel like I learned so much and there's not very many decks that like reward you mm-hmm. for knowing every sing why you have every single card in your deck and in your sideboard for what matchups, right. what to name. It's just like, it's so that type of re- reward to me is worth more than Winning the match. And winning winning a lot of tournaments. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, after playing like two games with Will, um, like I had been sitting and Lee had been both telling me, you know, giving me hints and also just sort of like playing the deck for several of my turns. But, you know, like we started each game, we unmoored egoed Will's Titans. And now I think that's actually not right. I think I'm supposed to unmoored ego Summoner's Pact first. Yeah. Um, because once that's gone, what is Titan even doing anymore? Like Titan's ability to tutor up whatever via Talarian, uh, Talaria West and Summoner's Pack, take that away, and that's the main threat that Titan can present. Titans can't chain anymore. Right, which is huge. right. Yeah. In, the, in the, the weapon, once we got rid of the Titans, Will was still able to go Summoner's Pact for Tireless Tracker, draw a million cards, uh, and then get a Ramuneth Excavator and play it in an Azusa, and then Ghost Quarter, like... Exactly. 
if he didn't have access to summoner's packs, that whole process would have been much more difficult for him to put together. And so I learned that after two games. Exactly. So. And I mean, like, uh, another route you can take is, like, you're like, okay, I I know what I need to Pithy Needle, right? I can Pithy Needle the Ghost Quarter. I can go get a Chalice for Zero. Chalice for Zero doesn't seem like something that you would want to do because it would stop your things. But let's say you put your things into play. And then Chalice for Zero because you find it important to stop that while allowing yourself to beat uh, Use that more Ego for maybe something like Consulate Crackdown, which is something that mm-hmm. Edgar and his camp of Amulet players brought up, brought upon. Or maybe even hitting the Primal Command. But, you know, what? The uh, I mean, Jester's Cap allows you to hit both, both of them uh, as long as they're not in the hand. So, yeah. like, there's so many routes that we can get there, right? Is the Unmored Ego correct? But we got to look at the rest of your hand. You can put the Needle the Teleri West, but that stops your own Teleri West. Mm-hmm. So it's like so many questions you're just constantly asking <laughs> yourselves. And it's not like ABC every single time. It Sometimes you go CBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you like putting those puzzles together, then this is definitely a deck for you. I think I'm mostly going to be sticking with Phoenix for for the foreseeable future. No, that's totally fair. Yeah. Very yeah. defensible choice. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to put the Shatterstorm on my sideboard. I'm going to. I'm going to Jester's Gabby. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. It'll you know. I I totally understand. I've I've lost to prison before. I will lose to prison again. It's it's just the thing that happens. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to be pretty much it for us this week. I really appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for coming and hanging out. If you want to find us, you can uh, go straight to our Patreon, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you'd like to give us some support, you can also go to our website, mtggrindcast.com. We've got links to our Patreon there, as well as links to our social media and stuff, links to Collins' coaching services. And you can find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast collins is also on twitter at collins Bond. and zan i you have a bunch of stuff you have so i know they can find you on youtube and on twitter so. yeah so lotus uh the lotus box channel on youtube and on twitter it's at uh zan underscore say it cool um anything new exciting happening with lotus box lately yeah we have a bunch of announcements on the horizon some new team members we have a patreon that you guys might want to check out basically you can find out what list all of us are playing before the tournament mm-hmm. as well as um just kind of general insights into our testing process if you want to have a snapshot of like what we're working on throughout the week moving into the tournaments it's going to be a huge resource for people who just like want that information check out the lowest box patreon you'll be able to see what each team member is working on leading up to the tournament weekend, which I think is pretty huge. So definitely check it out. Cool. Awesome. That's it for us this week. Thanks again for listening. And thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for being here. (laughs) Um, Have a great week. Peace. Bye.